welcome to the edic auditorium a podcast created by students who are trying to figure out their place in ever changing and fast growing 21st century economy this podcast aims to by no measure be your guide but we as students are merely trying to understand some of the problems that we face and some of the issues that we are going through right now we hope you follow us and we hope that we can make your time worthwhile for those who are listening we thank you a lot and we hope that you can pick up something of meaning with our podcast okay let's welcome our first guest our first guest to our first podcast uh, is mr aryan pandit uh, mr aryan how are you doing sir uh, hi sir i'm good how are you very good uh so mr arin could you give us a little background on you uh so so i um i uh, i was first and foremost uh, an ib student i think that's what we're here to talk about isn't it uh, i graduated my um, ib diploma in 2018 since then i've been studying law at the university of sydney along with history um before that i did the igcse um so yeah i'm still in the education system Yeah so why I want to talk to Aryan why I thought he's the ideal first guest Mr Aryan got 45 of 45 in his IB diploma for those of you who don't know I think that's a pretty big deal that's like getting 100% isn't that right Aryan <laughs> Yeah it's uh, yeah it's it's pretty much the most you can get the, Yeah the so yeah so why is he relevant because I thought today people make a big deal out of the 10th and 12th grade cuz Everybody thinks that the 12th grade and the 10th grade marks matter so much, and people prepare a lot for it. And of course, we all still do. And we all think that uh, getting very good grades, uh, grades in our 12th, will basically excel and make us uh, reach another level. But uh, so we need to talk about that little more because most people feel if we get a poor grade in the 12th standard, we will not succeed in life. Or if we get too good a grade in 12th standard, we are set for life. So that is some of the myths. normal or misinformation that exists out there so now we want to talk a little about that so mr aryan could you describe with us how you thought the ib process was the 11th and 12th grade oh for me surya it was always it was always a question um of of enjoying what i'm doing so when i started off uh, in when i started off in the ib i i picked a few subjects um which you know i thought i should pick because they were the sort of conventional route that everybody was taking um i didn't really enjoy them though uh so then i um at the end of my first year i shifted uh to subjects that i was more comfortable with and uh, and my experience sort of changed completely i i really started liking it i then i saw how the ib sort of lays the foundations for your studies in the future that's that's when it really started to hit me it started you know that's when the experience became more holistic for me um rather than before so i think that um i think that my experience was was fairly positive um but it it got a whole it got a whole lot better when i started enjoying what i was doing in the ib yeah so for those who are not familiar the ib stands for the international baccalaureate board It's a board based in Switzerland, but it's probably the most global and recognized board out there. It's a board that is uniform and standard across countries. I think the IB exists in almost every country. I think the IB is one of those boards where people of every uh, country and every background tend to join because they think it gives you or gives us or gives them a global connect. And for those who are not familiar, even I did the international baccalaureate program because even I thought I wanted to join the global. a uh, student body and join and become part of a global student database so many people think joining the ib gives them a direct access to universities across the world be it harvard stanford or be it universities in australia like mr and george or be it universities in the uk or be it universities in europe so the ib gives people a launch board for various academic activities that they want to do and so the ib is very relevant today because ib symbolizes and uh, is part of what we call the educa- the education system across the world becoming globalized would you agree with that aryan oh absolutely i mean one of the one of the one of the key aspects of uh, of the ib one of the key traits it it wants to imbibe in you is the trait of international mindedness 
which um, is absolutely key to our world today. And as we grow more international, our education's our education system grows. Systems grow more international. They all become interconnected with one another. Um, and yeah, that's. Uh, I think you know. I think that's that's one of the one of the key aspects of the IB for so for sure certainly. So one of the things I found very interesting about the IB, Aryan, is uh, you can tell me whether you found it interesting. Is that mathematics is compulsory in the IB, and both of us are. If for those who do not know, are more humanities oriented. We prefer more of the business, psychology, economic side. But uh, math being compulsory was something that little phase doesn't phase many people because we thought, is this something we really wanted to do? How did you feel about math being compulsory in the IB? Look, uh, as you said, uh, I'm not. But I wasn't particularly comfortable with the subject. um at the same time i was of the opinion that the bifurcation of the mathematics subject into different levels um was uh was was is is a plus point for students so it sort of the ib caters um their mathematical their approach to mathematics towards your level of mathematics in these particular sub uh, in these um these subject levels so um for those who aren't particularly mathematically inclined they tend to pick the lower levels those who are tend to pick the higher ones um at the same time i um i was faced by it i'm not going to lie i was faced by the amount of maths in the ib but um i feel like i'm i'm better off for having for having learned it for sure definitely because uh, i think maths has helped me a lot uh, now being a business major in college i feel uh, doing maths in ib really helps me because i feel Math, regardless of what fields are going into, be humanities, liberal arts, or business, math does play a very important role because I feel without math we do not know numbers, and I feel numbers is the way of the future. And do you think, Arun, as a law student, the numbers are very important even in the law field, or do you feel that oh, it's more? No, no, absolutely. Numbers are numbers are extremely so think... important. numbers are very important because i seen other boards where for instance maths is given optional even in the 9th grade so students can skip math 9 10 11 12th grade which is very which i found very unusual very unusual for a lot of people and i really wonder is dropping math worth it is are are the benefits of it worth it so i found many students when they drop math that they tend to get a better result overall because they tend to not start focus or study so much math and hence they can focus on other subjects do you think iron that would have helped us in the iv if we had dropped math maybe we could have focused on other subjects more or do you think math is really important regardless of how difficult it is i think i think um i think there's a bit of a balance uh i don't think you should be getting rid of the subject altogether but the beauty of the ib is is that it's le- it lets you adjust the difficulty level of the maths you study um you know according to the level you take of the subject whether you take it at higher level whether you take it at standard level whether you take it at studies um i definitely think that um for those who aren't particularly um you know who aren't particularly comfortable with the subject who aren't very very well um, you know uh who, who for whom math isn't their cup of tea um i think it's it's certainly um beneficial for them to take maths at a lower level uh, at the studies level or at the at the standard level um because that does sort of let you it takes a, it's it's you know it's a proverbial weight off their shoulders um it lets you focus on other subjects yeah. like you said yes because i think uh, nowadays people think that dropping maths is a very uh, keen solution and let's just <laughs> focus on other what i found now is that more and more uh, our world is turning into numbers because of excessive digitization and no, computerization yeah, absolutely 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 so i found that the ib keeping math has really benefited me personally and many students as well because it gives they gives us an uh, edge in terms of numbers because we still know our numbers so we are not basically foolhardy when we go into other fields so i know many people have dropped math and when they do go into uh, their professions be it law be it humanities be even telecommunications think this really do not require a math degree they find it really difficult because when they have to read a balance sheet or when they have to do kind of some kind of statistics they really struggle in that so i think math really is 
extremely beneficial. And so let's also talk about the other part of the IB, that the IB has three higher levels and three standard levels. So for those who are not familiar, when you do a higher level subject, you're basically doing a more intensive study into that, so you have more coursework on that. Or when you're doing a standard level subject, you have less coursework. And you can mix and match your higher level and standard level. And that is something that is tailor-made in the IB and, and that is something that has benefited or causes many students to think twice before joining the IB. So Mr. Aryan, how did you find that process? Uh, the bifurcation of higher level and standard level? Yeah. Uh, I, I actually found it brilliant. I thought that um, it gave me the option, that sort of bifurcation, uh, gave me the option of studying six subjects in different disciplines, but focusing on the ones that I really wanted to study, that I really wanted to get a get you know get a, get an in depth knowledge of, whilst yeah. also doing other subjects which I also loved but perhaps didn't love enough. I agree because there were some subjects which even I felt were. I didn't require them, but I felt that a course like the IB forced us to do it. So I contrasted with another board, the A level, where you only have to choose four subjects. Do you think, Mr. Aryan, that only doing four subjects, your favorite four subjects, is that a better way to look at how we can proceed education wise? Or do you think the IB model of having six subjects is a requirement today? No, I think. Um... Look, I have nothing. I have nothing uh, against the A levels board, um, not at all. But I feel like what the IB provides you in terms of overall holistic education, um, you know, not just the, not just the, you're not just your overall development as a human being, but the sheer diversity of subjects you study, makes you better equipped in a in a world where everything is becoming interconnected, you know, and more and more interconnected by the day. Um, so having having studied you know a diverse range of subjects doesn't necessarily put you at a disadvantage while i do agree that you know to some level the amount of depth that you indulge in when you study more and you know study a greater number and more diverse subjects isn't perhaps necessarily the the depth that you um, that you get into when you study just four subjects very streamlined but at the same time, it gives you knowledge of different kinds of worlds. It gives you knowledge of different kinds of fields. And I feel that um, in today's world, where everything is growing closer and closer, knowledge of things which, you know, transcend boundaries, which are incredibly diverse from the arts to mathematics, from the sciences to the social sciences, it's really important for students. Um, it, it facilitates your overall development, um, not just as a human being, not just as a student, but as a person as well. You, you tend to be more aware of things. Definitely. And I think I extremely, I extremely agree with you if that's a word. Because I think that today the world is definitely moving into less rigid boundaries and less, less rigid definitions. Absolutely. Everything is fluid. Yes, everything is fluid because people think that if I do arts, I don't have to focus on science subjects or math subjects. If I do science, I should not focus on arts and these kind of subjects. But what I find is increasingly as you pursue a career, be it any kind of career, that there comes a time that you require a certain knowledge of other aspects as well. For instance, I found when I was doing an internship as a digital marketing, uh, in digital marketing, I found that despite not requiring science, I feel it became extremely useful to me knowing maths and knowing kind of statistics into how our, how we reach our audience, how we reach our target customers. And I felt that is something if you strictly do things that are business related or arts related, you don't get. You don't get that kind of broad exposure. And I think today broad exposure is extremely required and is of extreme essence to us. Because I feel if we are only doing one streamlined uh, course, it is not going to really help us. And so I think that's where the IB really comes into help and how different kinds of boards are really helping us progress. So, Mr. Aryan, so I just want to discuss one thing. Uh, so let's discuss the college application process. So today, many students are still faced by it. And due to the corona pandemic, most students are worried 
how where do i apply to what is the ideal college so can you tell us a little about your college application process what was going through your mind when you applied for college <laughs> surya as you uh, as you probably know i applied everywhere anywhere under the sun essentially um i applied to the us i applied to the uk and i applied to australia and of course colleges uh, back home in india um so my applications to the us were largely based uh, through common app i had to write uh, the essay um had to package off my individual applications to the schools um for me that sort of that experience was um was was you know it was pretty daunting because all of a sudden um you have you know you have a, a plethora of options in front of you and you are really not sure which one to pick and um i'll be very honest with you I, up until late in the 12th grade i wasn't even completely convinced of the idea you know i wasn't even you know the the reality of leaving home for college let's say hadn't really set in so yeah. my applications yeah. my applications just came i mean you know were just sort of were dictated more by um by my heart than by uh, by you know by logic so um i felt that you know i felt that certain places had good reputations um you know and i applied to them without necessarily considering whether they would have been a fit for me and my course um it was only when i was approaching the end of the 12th grade and we had to send in our um, our applications uh, through ucas um for the uk uh that's when it became more serious and that's when uh, you know when I, i when i wrote my statement of purpose um that sort of you know i i i finally started looking at colleges in in a way that uh thinking that oh i might actually be spending the next 3 4 5 years of my life um in another country uh or in another city in a completely new environment so um you know i i started taking my statement of purpose more seriously i i i did a lot more research um at the same time i applied to colleges in india uh, i sat the lnat um uh and um you know by the end of the ib um by the time i had gotten my result um i knew that um i knew that i'd get into a to a pretty esteemed university in australia so that became my that became my choice great so because one of the things i really found interesting or fascinating about the college application process was knowing which college was right for you and applying for those colleges because i think everybody thinks why should i not apply for harvard or why should i not apply for stanford because i think that becomes something everybody feels they can achieve or many people feel i should not apply for the top let me apply for the middle or let me apply for the bottom tier of college so pa- pa- pardon me pardon me for pardon me for interrupting but i think um i think everyone sort of gets at one of two things happen i've seen um is that people either really oversell themselves or they really undersell themselves I don't think I think getting an honest representation of yourself during your college applications becomes very difficult. Um and at the same time I realized that um you know I I I'd come from a small school um and um you know I felt I felt that I you know I felt that I could personally cope you know with going to a much larger institute where there were you know there were greater class sizes where students were in the hundreds and the thousands um but you know that doesn't necessarily yeah. work for everybody so i think a lot of that has to do with uh, you know you 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 need to take a look at you know batch sizes um the kind of course that people are offering how the course is being taught um those things become really important um and you know even even yeah. for people who are leaving the country uh, i think the the your your destination the actual country itself is also really important whether it's friendly with immigration whether it's good you know it, it has good student life um whether the the prospects for for you know the job prospects after you graduate are reasonable you know of course depending on whether or not you want to you want to stay there or you want to go somewhere else um you know so those are yeah. also factors that i think people a lot of people tend to I wouldn't say they overlook them but I think that they um they don't place nearly as much importance as I think they should. So when you said everyone, you know, people say that you know why why shouldn't I go to a Harvard um or an Oxford or a Cambridge. Um I think a lot of people fail to understand that in these universities um you know you may be the biggest fish in your little pond but you're being thrown into the ocean. 
definitely. Because I also know many students who do get really good grades in their 12s or really good SAT scores, but they tend to not apply to places like Harvard, Stanford, Dartmouth, any of the Ivy, because they think if I apply to a top 40 college as opposed to top 20 college, maybe there's a chance I get in, but I also get a scholarship with that fully. Because I think that becomes a major factor for many people. Many people are not comfortable with going to a prestigious college without a scholarship because they feel it's a little difficult. So can you speak to us about how you think that plays into perspective? Whether when people really want a scholarship, should they apply to a big college and try to get that scholarship or should they focus on a middle tier school and try to get that scholarship? Okay, I, I mean, I'll be, I'll be fairly honest. Um, the, I'm not particularly well-versed with the scholarship system. Um, from what I know, though, um, is, uh, is, yeah, what, what, you, what you said is essentially sort of the thinking amongst people. People think that if they go to a... And I've, I've, I've known this to be true to a certain degree. I think when people apply to the, to the middle-tier colleges, I think they, there's, there's a greater chance of receiving scholarships yeah. or financial aid or you know, merit, merit scholarships and, and all of that stuff. Um, as opposed to the, the real, real top ones. Um, again, I'm not, you know, I'm not particularly sure. Um, this is just speaking from experience um, and experience, uh, the experience of, you know, a couple of people around me. Um, but I feel, I feel, yes, I feel that's sort of, yeah, that kind of thinking is to a certain degree justified. Yeah, definitely. Because I think many people think that big places do not offer financial aid or they cannot afford them. Hence, they apply for the middle. And I think that leaves a lot of very smart students out there who do not apply for a good college and who think that who only think in terms of monetary value. And I think that's one of the reasons why many good students tend to not choose the best colleges or just choose colleges that are things they think will suffice. And I think that's where we need to have a change of mindset. That people need to achieve or people need to shoot for the stars. They should not just think of applying for smaller colleges because I think it's true for me and many people where we thought more in terms of financial things. We thought that if we go to a smaller college, the fees will not be that much and hence we may be, be able to do better there. But nobody ever thinks of the long-term aspects of joining a good college. For instance, I think when you join Harvard, you know that the return on investment is very high, but people tend not to think about that. They only tend to think about the $200,000, $250,000 college fees and the tuition fees and that's where I think many people do get stuck. And that's where many college applications also go awry. So I think that is somewhere where the education system needs to do better on. Where we need to not only look at things in a cost basis, but we also need to look at them in a return on investment basis. So let's also discuss something else. I think part of me, if you mind, can I interject on this point, please? Yeah, yeah, sure. No, I think um, I, I kind of I, I feel like I respectfully disagree with you there, Surya. I feel that the, the the monetary side of things is is one that we simply cannot overlook. I mean, sometimes, unfortunate as it is, even the smartest child of that particular graduating class sometimes finds it beyond their means to to be able to you know afford these these top class institutions. I mean, a lot of it, especially, especially, um, you know, especially what I've seen uh, in India as well. I think that those who can afford it will afford it without question, but there are genuinely some who, um, you know, who despite having all the merit and everything necessary to, you know, to apply and to, uh, to get in and, you know, to have a very successful tenure at that college. I feel like a lot of them just find it beyond the reach of their parents or themselves or they 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 just they simply can't afford it and i i believe that i think i think we're slightly misguided in thinking that you know people shouldn't focus on the monetary side of things i think they should of course I, you know at the end of the day if you can afford it and you're not going it's an it's another thing but if you if you simply can't um i feel like you know i feel like we should we should definitely you know give them the benefit of the doubt no, I definitely agree with that. So let me clarify my point. So my point being that there are some who think that going to college with a fee of say 60,000 US dollars and opposed to going to a college with a tuition fee of 100,000 US dollars will benefit them. 
because they think they save little bit money here and there. For example, let's think of college X and college Y. So let's assume college X is a college ranked as a 80th of the top 100 universities list, and college Y is ranked as 30th. But the difference between them is a couple of uh, maybe 20,000 US dollars for the whole course. And I think that's why many people make a mistake because they think when we save a little bit of money, when they nickel and dime things, that's where they make a mistake. For instance, I understand that people can't afford to go to a top college, and that's completely understandable. Most people can't afford. I could not afford. Many of my friends could not afford to go to a top college. So we have to choose there. But I see many people make a real little bit of a mistake where they choose a college that's slightly cheaper, as opposed to going to college that is slightly more expensive but has more benefits in the long run. Because I feel there are many colleges out there who might be cheaper, for instance, when you do it right now. But when you get a job, the salaries are the starting packages will definitely vary. And that's where you'll see a real difference. Would you agree with me there? Uh, I mean, to a certain degree, to a certain degree, I feel, I feel like your, your choice in college helps you to a certain degree. After that, I feel like it's just down to merit. But I, I see where you're coming from. I, I, I see the point. Um, you know, I see that uh, when you're saying, you know, you're, you're referring to people who can afford that $100,000 fee and the $60,000 fee instead choosing to choose, choosing to go for the $60,000 college and, and then thinking, you know, that yeah. because they can save the 40,000, you know, they can, um, I, I, I see, I see that I, I, I don't necessarily 100% agree with it. I see where you're coming from though. I think that's a, it's a valid it's certainly a valid school of thought. Okay, so that brings me to another area or another fascinating conversation. So let's talk about is it really worth it to spend so many thousands of dollars on education or, or going getting a foreign education. For many people who live in countries that do not necessarily are classified as extremely developed countries or we are considered as a developing country, many of us are fascinated with the idea of going abroad, countries such as the US, Canada, UK, to really study and broaden the horizon. But many of many of the times, these universities or colleges cost a lot of lot of money, and sometimes most parents' savings go into this. And that is something that's really concerning. Do you think, Aryan, is it really worth it to spend many people who spend all of their life savings into sending their children to go abroad? to study into a prestigious foreign university just for the sake of studying abroad, not even for going to a top university. For instance, let's assume they go to a university in a foreign or developed developed country, which is in the 140th or 150th in the top universities list, just because their son is getting a foreign or son or daughter is getting a foreign education. Do you think that is worth it? Or do you think that is something that people should think twice about? I feel like having a foreign education just for the sake of it is a dangerous game though at the same time a foreign education is has become a sort of you know it's become sort of a tag um in that parents boldly proclaim that their children are foreign educated uh it it feels you know a, a lot of the times it's it's a social thing um so it is certainly a dangerous game i i, I don't I mean, I, you've then you've really got to you've got to ask yourself the question that is the is the five hundred and forty ninth best school, best university in country X, better than, uh, you know, I, the the number twenty university in 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 your country, where you are very easily being admitted, or is it? Are they on equal footing or is that 549th school on lower footing? If so, then, you know, so then what you're doing is essentially, you know, essentially sending your child for an education that's, that, you know, where, where a better one could be had in your own country, just for the sake of having your child educated in a foreign university. So it's a dangerous tag. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like I'm not particularly qualified to speak about whether it's worth it or not just yet. Um, 
it's certainly a dangerous game it's a dangerous dangerous game i just i i feel like there are there are a lot more layers to it than than you know than than the ones we see um perhaps it's a you know definitely I, perhaps it's 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 much more deep rooted than what we're seeing at at the surface so you know you never know no because i asked this, i asked this because what we see right now is a plethora of students who come from developing countries who feel that they need to go and get a foreign education and many of many times they spend all of their life savings to go abroad but they don't necessarily get a quality education and most of the times they do not get a visa to stay in those countries and they're forced to come back and that sometimes causes a problem for many people because they've invested a lot of their life savings and that's why the commercialization of education aspect becomes very clear where they enjoy the four years maybe they have a good experience but the university post their uh, graduation does not give them any kind of opportunity in that country to do it and that's where it becomes a little bit of an issue for instance when you are paying when you do not earn in dollars when you are paying your college in dollars that becomes a little bit of an issue to many people because for instance you many people's college uh, tuition fees is many people's lifetime earnings in many countries for instance in developing countries many people never make 100000 dollars in their life so for them to spend that kind of money to send their children abroad is a little bit of a tricky question which even i feel i'm not qualified to answer but it does beg the question whether if college education becoming too commercialized and whether people feel like they need to i feel so yeah i feel uh, you know especially especially in the in the less economically developed countries um the ledcs uh, i feel a lot of the time parents wish to provide their children with a much better lifestyle than they themselves experienced and maybe because you know maybe because of a range of factors they themselves couldn't leave they they pine all their hopes and dreams on their children leaving their home country going to another uh, you know an economically developed nation um and um and getting an education there settling down there making a you know a good life for themselves out there and you're right a lot of the time a lot of the time that doesn't happen and whether or not i mean you know from the looks of it um cards face up it doesn't doesn't seem like it's worth it if you you know from the outside looking in but i feel like the answer yeah. to that question or the most correct answer to that question will only be given by someone who is in that situation definitely because i think uh, now we are progressing towards a place where students increasingly find themselves asking the question whether should we go abroad or should we study in our country because that was not a question that was asked maybe 40 50 years ago because now the world is more globalized so people feel let's get a global education as opposed to just getting education in our home place or in our birthplace so people feel like expanding the horizon like we also did like for instance we did the ib only for the fact that we want to expand the horizon or many people go abroad because they want to expand their horizon and i think that's where we are right now also let me ask you this since you are in a foreign university or you are in a university which is not located in your home country do you find it a little bit difficult to adapt to that country's culture or do you find it 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 seamless after a certain i mean uh, for me surya it was it was always a little bit different i, I grew up um in this part of the world i spent my formative years here um as a child uh so but but at the same time i can tell you it was the first 6 months that that transition um even if it was just you know it was it was just the way of life here adjusting to it it was a little bit difficult after that i mean you're right i mean after to, to after a certain point you feel you start to get comfortable and things start to come to you um you know naturally you you get you you know you immerse yourself in this culture um and it becomes it becomes pretty good um i think though for me personally one of the things that i was um i was lucky enough not to have which a lot of international students i know do have is a sense of naivety when they come here 
they come to other countries they feel like their life is is going to be you know just a bed of roses um everything's going to come easy to them um i sort of living here before um as a child i sort of knew that you know that necessarily wasn't going to be the case um you'd have to things here are very you know your people here are very self sufficient a lot of things you've got to get done yourself also when you come here you you know you you are officially and legally most of the times an adult so uh, things such as handling the bank um you know signing lease forms everything you have to start doing yourself um so i feel like a lot of times uh, a lot of the times international students struggle to come to grips with those sorts of nuances of studying in a in a in a nation that's not their own um especially when they come from cultures where they're um, sort of you know um where they're um they're more comfortable you know where they're kept in a very comfortable environment um yeah i yeah again i feel like i was i was i was you know i was very i, I knew from the beginning that this wasn't going to uh, i knew that i was going to have to handle a lot of things myself and i feel like this is just this may not necessarily be true for everybody but i you know i feel like from what i've seen um you know amongst uh, amongst peers amongst people um who have met here otherwise i feel like a lot of people from you know a lot of people from less economically developed countries they come here and they they imagine that once they get here their life becomes you know their life is just going to be a complete bed of roses yeah. which isn't necessarily the case yeah definitely because many people see when they do go abroad our life is going to become much different we are going to basically enjoy <laughs> our life it's going to be completely different but many people keep forgetting that everything is not as different as they imagine it to be there are some aspects that are still challenging to many people which still pose a very unique challenge so let's talk about uh, something else which basically is a title of this podcast the perfect student so aryan how did you so you can just tell in like maybe in a minute, quick 30 40 seconds how did you get qualified for qualified the id what was your thinking as you got and or how did you approach the 12th grade for you to get a perfect grade what what was the approach you did did you study all the time or did you study in a more Okay. What is the secret, or let's say a secret sauce? Ah, uh, I mean, there was there was really there was no secrets with it. It was it was a lot of hard work, but I I, I did have a few things which uh, I'd I'd like to share. Um, I um throughout my IB, I maintained uh good relationships with my teachers. Um, and that allowed me to you know. So once you get comfortable with your teachers, once your teachers know you as a student, um, you know, certain you start to enjoy your learning, um. you know th- things become uh, a lot easier for you i feel if you if you're at odds with your teachers um you never really enjoy the subject as much uh, even if you know even if you're fond of it or you have a natural aptitude for it so i did that i had a i had a very strong support system in my family um you know they were always very supportive of me they uh, they put up with a lot of my tantrums during the 12th grade uh, a lot of my uh, a lot of my stress um they they knew how to manage um my parents my sister um i studied regularly i sort of i had a i had a study schedule i studied quite regularly um i i relaxed as well occasionally i did the things that i enjoyed so you know as you know i i played the guitar um i did that uh, i played football um i ate pretty you know i ate pretty well i i tended to avoid food that wasn't cooked at home especially in the latter part of the of the 12th grade um i formed study groups uh, i felt like those really helped me especially studying with your peers i felt uh, i feel is you know is a is a really really um is a really important thing to do and i think it really really helps you it's a real positive um Definitely. and uh, i i think last but not least uh, i slept 8 hours a day uh so i wasn't tired all the time i feel like uh, i feel like this I have a lot of conflicts with students about this. I feel like getting your eight hours in at in one go um, is always better than you know pulling all nighters and then having you know a couple of hours of sleep here and there. Uh, but then again, everyone everyone works in their own you know in their own ways. Uh, so what worked for me might not work for everyone. But yeah, these were these were the things I did. So how will you answer to people who say that your eleventh and twelfth grade is only for studying a full time? <laughs> 
you have to focus on studies and not focus on extracurricular because what we generally happens in many cases is people feel like when they're preparing for the SATs or for the 12th grade exams we need to study all the time and we need to not do anything extracurricular do you find that approach to be a little bit old school or do you think there's still no, some no, there's, merit to that um, there, i mean the merit to the approach lies in the fact that yes you must study but surya i mean uh, answer you can answer this sorry how many muns did you and i do when we were in the 11th and 12th grade how many did we organize we, we did at least i think we at least did five <laughs> we organized and for those of familiar muns are modern united nations so me and arin are very passionate about that mm-hmm. and organizing one is a ma- organizing one mun takes at least two or three months so we did organize five or six so basically our entire <laughs> high school went in organizing this and we found time on the side to study i, I feel like i feel like, like that was basically what the presentation of our education in the ib <laughs> yeah that we look at that i mean like it's, uh, so it's necessarily uh, you know so like you said it's I, I, it may be a little bit old school but you know like you said we found time on the side to study so we did what we love to do Yes, because I think that's what's very important. Finding things that you love to do. Because I feel you will not be sixteen or you will not be seventeen again. Like the movie, <laughs> unlike the movie, seventeen again, we're not going to become seventeen again. So we have to live our life right now. But I feel like people keep thinking like, let's not enjoy now; we can enjoy later. But I feel like you have to make the most of every moment, regardless of what kind of environment you're in or what your aspirations are. Ah, absolutely, you absolutely. And uh, and you, you know, you know, you know how. You know. You you know how it's like. Um, you know me as just as about just as well as anyone does. So um, you know you know how it's been. I've always sort of advocated doing what you love to do alongside your study, because otherwise you 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 reach a point in your education where you feel like this it isn't worth it anymore, and um, I think from there it's a slippery slope. because i've heard of lot of students currently who are always studying and hence they go into depression or they go into other kinds of uh, avenues which is really harmful and i feel that partly or many of the things are responsible for this is people focusing too much on academics and people focusing too much on the fact that you have to get a perfect grade and you do not succeed in life or you not have a good career and that is the reason there are a lot of stumbling blocks which caused a lot of anxiety among students and one of the reasons we started i started this podcast was that there are a lot of anxieties among students currently or people even not students people have already graduated but are at entry level jobs or who are thinking of doing an mba or thinking of doing a masters who are currently facing a lot of anxiety whether should we study more or where do you think the future will go and that is something that people not do not realize or we will not yet come to realize that studies is not everything and that you should also do other things and that doing well in your studies is not necessarily a precursor to a great future as we do know that many of the fortune 500 companies like microsoft facebook were founded by people who had dropped out of college wouldn't you agree with that i mean uh, look certainly uh, i don't know like you you mentioned uh, you know the people get depressed and and uh, you know have have difficulties i i don't know i don't know about that i, I don't feel like I, i'm not you know particularly qualified to tell you what goes on but I, i can tell you from experience as a student yes it does get daunting it does take its toll on you um and i feel like often often times as like you said we are focused on getting the perfect grade getting the um you know getting into that you know that that top level university um achieving you know all you can achieve in the 11th and 12th and i feel like what what happens then is that uh, people start to burn out they start to burn out and um and what should be essentially the starting point of the rest of your life suddenly then the curve flattens and you no longer feel like doing anything else so You're right. I mean, it's not not everything is dependent on the eleventh and twelfth. There are countless examples of people who haven't done too well in high school who have gone on to become uber successful. So, of course, definitely. 
that's definitely true in every arena so i want to ask you a second question that follows our topic so you as a student did definitely get a perfect yes. grade in high school but do you think that success in high school is a precursor to success in college do you think that if a student who has got 99 percentile in their high school exam or even got 100 do you think that there is a definite 100% chance that they're going to become top in the college level as well or do you think that there are struggles that go with the college uh, level or there are struggles that go into being a successful student in college I wouldn't go far as far as saying anything is absolute but i will say that certainly you know certainly in a large number of cases your high school success isn't directly correlated to your college success while i will say that doing well in high school helps it it you know it imbibes certain qualities within you that definitely help you in college it doesn't translate into a good college grade all the time no absolutely not i mean i'm not absolutely i mean i just i just i feel like i feel like there's a this is you know college is if if high school is a jog then college is a sprint there's a certain added level of effort involved which you know you must step up to even if you do well in high school you can't rest on your laurels of course cuz i do feel like many people think that because they didn't do well in high school that their life is marked that's out that's absolutely not true they also going to die that's absolutely not true also- that's absolutely not true i can i can name countless examples of people i know personally who are absolutely at the top of their colleges right now despite not having done the best in high school and i can tell you examples of people whose you know whose lives have been vice versa of course but i do know many people who tend to do very well in high school but tend to go to college with a certain sense of uh, aggression or sense of confidence of the, or i would rather say chip on the shoulder which causes them to sometimes not focus too much in high school or in college or university at least i found that to be a case of couple of students who i know who tend to think that just because they are they have done very well in high school and they do not need to work oh, hard in college yeah. or university and they think that success will be handed maybe maybe place. maybe that's one of the contributing factors but i think a lot of people um fail to fail to understand that college is a you know it's 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 a completely different kettle of fish it's you know it's not at all what you experienced in high school and while high school and the ib can prepare you for you know for college life to a certain degree um it's a big big change and some people i think are naturally more suited to college level classes um you know at least better suited to college level classes than they were to high school classes um so naturally they're the ones that end up doing better like you said there are there, you know there must be there, there must be students who arrive with a chip on their shoulder who believe that um that there's going to be a red carpet laid out for them in college and things are going to be hunky dory and that doesn't you know necessarily end up being the case but at the same time i feel like there are those hard working college students or high school students who worked hard who did very well in high school on their merit and who come and who don't necessarily do the best in college because they're not that that style of learning or maybe the the way the classes are conducted is not something that they're used to so there's always a transition period uh, things become complicated um but yeah i think people need to understand that um, college and high school are completely different and while one why one prepares you for the other it doesn't necessarily good performance in one doesn't necessarily mean good performance in the other and you know bad performance in one doesn't necessarily translate into bad performance in the other of course so i feel everybody's intuition is different so many people i know many people who do tend to take the engineering and science fields when they are in high school and maybe they do not perform well in that but when they do take something that passionate about let's say commerce or uh, arts they tend to perform brilliantly in that and that's what people need to recognize that the field of chosen may not be the right field for you because many people that feel like they need to be rigid and you need to be fixated on the field they are doing and maybe they need to achieve excellence in that but people need to look in the mirror at some point and realize that okay this is not something i'm really comfortable at or this is something i'm not really good at 
so what can i do how can i pivot my career or my education to fit into a kind of curriculum i understand or something that i'll be really good at do you think that is something every student should do at some point in their career or some point in their education look in the mirror and see that this is the right thing for me whether this is the thing i need to progress in life or should i, I think it's it? good to have a sense of reality i think it's very necessary i think people need to like you said look in the mirror from time to time and and you know just remind themselves that this is what i'm good at this is what i love but pursuing such subjects especially in cultures where such as ours where certain jobs on certain careers and certain you know ways uh, of progress a progression in your professional life aren't necessarily as supported as some other more rather as i say with air quotes conventional ones the reality for students isn't always going to be do what you love or you know go do do what you're passionate about or do what you're extremely good at because for a lot of us you know a lot of us we dream of you know we we aim for financial stability before anything else but of course at the same time that shouldn't lead you down a path where you feel like you're doing something that you're not good at you don't love and you feel that you know this is going to get you nowhere so i think this is there's a really fine balance that students have to strike and, and you know at, at the same time let's not let's not forget that sometimes someone may be really passionate about something but be absolutely you know um not inclined towards it in terms of their ability so you know there are there often times students yeah. need to have a grasp of their reality you know i mean i not not just often times i think it's 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 good if students have a grasp of their reality their situation um and make the best out of it um you know shoot for the stars follow your dreams but at the same time be realistic you know there are there are of course so you know there are certain yeah, there are certain careers which offer more stability than others there are certain careers which your family may want you to pursue um you know and um it's 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 a, it's a fine balance but i mean whatever you do uh, make sure you're happy doing it make sure you're you know you're doing well doing it um, you know make sure you enjoy what you do at the at the very least yeah the part of the reason i called the podcast the edit coditorium was i feel many people today across the world are saying you need to code to have a good future because the jobs of the future are all in coding or if you're getting it more into artificial intelligence machine learning they say people to go into this area for that reason many people choose these kinds of fields like computer engineering mechanical engineering they feel or coding they think this is the wave of the future but i personally feel that across the field many experts feel like coding is not the only job of the future they call me yes it's going to be very dynamic yes there going to be a lot of changes but some of the things that people will constantly require are those jobs that require a human touch where there is a certain level of leadership required there is a certain level of human skill required and uh, i feel those are the jobs that people still need to focus on where i feel a robot or a machine can not replace those human aspects of a certain job however good or however great a machine reaches there is still a human component required and that is the reason and that is the reason i started this podcast because i want people to understand that there are certain other kind of soft skills that are required or leadership skills that are required that will translate also into this upcoming econ- economic future that we are progressing into because i did read a study that said that more than 50 or 60% of the jobs by 2050 will be jobs we do not recognize right now and that is something that is definitely going to be on the minds of a lot of people let's say we will feel let's take up careers that are more stable for instance computer engineering or mechanical engineering so realizing where they're good at or where they're not good at it so what is talking about that will just take it based on the fact that they think it will be good for them without realizing whether they're good or good at it or that they may not be as good at it and that may cause them to go into a rabbit hole of thought where they constantly are not realizing they're not realizing or they're not really happy with it so what do you say to that i mean you you can't predict the future you can certainly see where the trends are headed to 
and uh, you're right i think people a lot of the times fall into the rabbit hole of um of doing what they believe is trendy or you know or will be trendy in a while and uh, what they think is going to be good for them without necessarily having the aptitude and again i feel that that's a, i feel like that's a dangerous game to be playing it's not something that you should you know you should really be doing because if you lack a natural aptitude for something i feel like there comes a point where your progression in that particular field will stop your you know again hard work will will get you so far um and everything but yeah you're right i think a lot of the times people fall into the trap of going for what's trendy without necessarily realizing that this is not for them and it becomes a real issue i think people like you said i think people really should you know should concentrate more on what's better yeah. for them rather than what's happening or what's you know what's the real big deal in the job market right now so the job market changes surya you know that i mean the job market it goes you yeah, know it, skills skills of the skills of today aren't necessarily going to be the skills in demand 20 years from the future 20 years in the future it's i know it 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 will be ludicrous to say that because uh you know skills from the 2000s are not skills that you want in in you know in in the 2020s similarly skills in the 2020s yeah. are not going to be skills that you're going to want in the 2040s yeah it's 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 different yeah so my belief is <coughs> that the only skill that can definitely transfer across centuries even is the human skill required for instance how people communicate how they are able to present their ideas how they are able to understand human desire how they are able to understand what people want and i feel that is something that will always remain with us and that is something people need to focus on even if they are not able to for god able to pursue necessarily things that people think are a job in the future say things like such as coding or mechanical engineering do you agree with that statement well, the human touch as much as as much as you know the 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 tech the tech sector will have you believe that humans human life will be redundant somewhere along the line i feel that that's that's really not going to be the case I, I, then again this is just this is one opinion and perhaps a particularly biased one uh, or one that's you know not very well informed but um, i agree with you i certainly think that the that there are certain basic yeah there are certain basic skills like you said the human touch um which you know which 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 are going to cut across periods of time uh, in you know contradiction or rather in addition to what i'd said before um you know skills of the 2020s may not be the skills of the 2040s but i feel like communication will be maybe this is the exception yes okay aryan so last question before we end this podcast sure. how do you think the global education system is going to change due to the covid-19 according to you you being a global student being studying you as a student studying in a foreign country uh, how do you think the education system is going to progress due to covid do you think people are now going to focus more on online education rather than trying to do a physical one or do you think the education system will remain more or less intact Oh, I think you've already seen adapt. Uh, you know, you've seen the the system adapt and uh, you know and essentially transform in a in a matter of months. Um, I feel as though this has been successful. This transition to online education, this you know, it hasn't been seamless, but it's been successful to a significant enough degree that students. and educators will both feel that this has a lot of potential for the future um such you know such such a kind of such kind of deliverance if you would uh, you know if you would have me um such kind of you know such delivery of education it has it has it has a future um whether or not this will be the exclusive manner of teaching perhaps too early to say um it's certainly a big win for online education it's certainly a big win for technology um 
the way uh, things seem to be looking right now it looks like this is going to continue for a, for a while still and i presume it will get better you know in the meantime um i've already seen it go from absolutely shambolic to you know to 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 fairly you know to to fairly fairly satisfactory levels um of education in in a, in a matter of weeks so you know uh, um a bit of a break everyone for everyone i think would have done people a world of good universities educators students everyone would have come up with new ideas of how to make this better the future does seem to lie online whether or not it's entirely online uh, i don't know but i feel like this sort of you this forced experiment that we've had to do has yeah it has really it's been it's been extremely i'd say it's been it's been a success you know amits amits i also times. think of course it's we were definitely very uncertain times what i personally got from this entire shifting towards online education is i genuinely thought that this will be good for many many students who want to access a kind of global education for instance uh, when why do you have to pay Say hundred thousand US dollars to get an education from a foreign university, where there can be an alternate form of online education, where you maybe pay a quarter or half of that in order to get your degree online. Because I look at the technologies currently, and I think it's definitely possible for students to have more online access to foreign education. Because I think that's something that is very fascinating to me. Because I feel many students who can't afford to go abroad. now we'll get access to kind of foreign education because you can sit in any country and kind of get an education from a foreign university oh, certainly 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 i i feel so like what, i feel like it, it a lot of it has depends on the the actual program uh, itself and uh, the education the degree um, the course have you of course uh, so there are certain there are certain programs which for which this will be you know this the facilitation of learning will be a lot easier online than for others um and i think that you know i think that a lot of that has to depend with what you know what what it is that you are learning uh more than anything else so that's why i said it it may not be entirely yeah. online it will it, it it looks to me like it will be a hybrid of some sort but Absolutely. one of the models i thought that would be very useful for many students is why not colleges try if for if for instance in the us why not colleges do a certain distance level program where they, you can do 3 years online from your home country and maybe one year you go to the us to study that way students get to save a lot of expenses and parents are still able to claim that the child has a foreign education without necessarily spending a boatload of money and i feel this will be something very very beneficial to many students who want to access a foreign education want to get access to global level of students but currently can't because there are financial restrictions or movement based restrictions which is kind of come down due to this where we have a hybrid model where students can maybe do a certain part of their degree online and certain part of their degree in the college so they do it they are able to save money and they do get a foreign education without maybe spending 200000 us dollars on just going and living expenses and all of these kinds of things so just a final thoughts on this hybrid model do you think this hybrid model will work and do you think lot of students will be excited for this i mean there's only one way to find out uh i put, put it in action and uh, and let's see what happens i think it's a it's it's certainly an interesting idea um like you you're right it, it it removes a lot of the hurdles that we thought you know previously barred people from Get, get, getting a foreign education the financial hurdle the movement hurdle actually physical movement hurdle um so yeah it's interesting it's interesting we'll see uh, we'll see what comes of it um but yeah uh, you, you may be onto something definitely let's hope that our universities globally will adapt quickly and we can move from uncertainty to maybe prosperity in the next upcoming years So I'd like to thank you, Aryan, for being our first guest on this podcast. Thanks for having me. And I hope it will be a huge podcast one day with maybe hundreds of listeners. <laughs> Thanks for having me.
Thanks, okay, so thank you so much. I really hope we can reconnect soon on our podcast uh, on different topics. And I hope our listeners understand uh, our conversation and are happy with our conversation. And thank you so much. And uh, we'll take. I'll take your leave right Thanks, now. Surya. And thank you so. Much. Thank you. Thanks. I'll see you. Bye. And thank you to all our listeners for joining this podcast. And I really hope. uh you understand from our podcast our conversations that where they're coming from and i really hope to hear from you all soon and i hope many more podcasts are possible with your blessing so thank you so much